Would you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Gospel of John, chapter 14. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that these are just not lyrics of a song that we're singing and we have not experienced. For those of us who know you, we, we know how sweet the Holy Spirit is and how sweet the Holy Spirit can be. We thank you for those moments when he comforts us consoles us, encourages us, leads us, guides us, and strengthens us. We thank you, Lord, as we're going to learn today that you gave us help because you knew we needed help, and the helper is none other than the Holy Spirit. Father, I present this series to you that we're going to be in for the next several weeks as we study, look at, observe the Holy Spirit. We know it's your will that we commune with him, that we submit to him, that we listen to him, that we are filled with him. I pray, God, that you would do things that we can't even imagine because of the understanding we're going to gain. I pray, God, that you'll do a work in this church that we've never seen before because the Holy Spirit will continue to have his way and blow our minds. Lord, we're not just asking for emotional encounters, and we know that's part of it, but we're asking for transformational encounters. Whereas we heard this morning that minds would be renewed and lives would be changed. That the things we thought we could not stop doing, we will be able with the help of God to stop doing. And the things we need to start doing, we never thought we could do, the Holy Spirit will help us to start. Oh yeah, it's on. And we bless you. We thank you. Open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we may receive the word of God. For it's in Jesus' name that I ask it all. Amen. Well, if you missed us last Wednesday for Bible study, you really need to be there this Wednesday because we had a good time. We had a good time talking about the Word of God and how it relates to the traditions that we all have grown up with. And we're going to continue this week when we talk about church etiquette traditions. Like, what does this finger mean when you got to get up and walk out? We're going to talk through some of these things this Wednesday. Um, but as we shared last week, traditions are not bad in and of themselves. They can become bad when we put upon a tradition what was never meant to be put on a tradition. Like, you are righteous if you adhere to the tradition. And you are judged if you don't adhere to the tradition. Oh, we're going to have a good time talking about it. And one of the things we talked about Wednesday was that within every family, there are traditions. Your family has traditions around the holidays, 
My family has tradition around the holidays, and those are good things to have to pass on to other generations, to your children and your children's children. And one of the things that we tried to establish with our children when we were raising them up is that we're going to always have, as much as we can, a family vacation. So we're going to take time because you work in school and all of that, and our kids would get excited that we were going to be going somewhere, South Carolina or Florida or Virginia. We would take family vacations. But not only that, we, we want to instill that within our children. We also wanted to instill the fact that mom and dad will do a vacation separate from the children. Can my wife say amen? And, and, and so we did that. We, we, we would have family time and then mom and dad time because we're trying to show them, again, modeling, discipling them that this relationship after God comes even before the children and that they can have security and peace of mind knowing that mom and dad love each other and cultivate their relationship and take time together. And so when we would tell them that we were going to a place like Hawaii, forget Virginia, we were going to Hawaii or we were going to the Caribbean or something, uh, uh, you know, they would look a little sad, you know, a couple of haters in the bunch. But uh, this question would inevitably come up. And the question was, who are you going to leave here to be with us? While you're gone, who are you going to leave here to be with us? And back then, we had some really good babysitters. One thing about being in the church, once the word gets out that there's a good babysitter, church folk will steal your babysitter. And so we had a couple stolen over the years by Strong Tower members, but our kids would ask, who are you going to leave here to be with us? Because what we want to know is, is this person going to in any way be a reflection of who you and mom are, or are they going to be somebody completely different from them? We want to stay in our similar rhythm. Don't bring somebody in here that's going to frustrate what we do and what we've been doing, the culture of this house. So we always took that into consideration when we had a babysitter with our children. Well, Strong Tower, I need you to go back with me in your mind's eye about 2,000 years in the past. Go, go with me to the upper room. Go with me in your mind's eye to the upper room. This is the holy week of the Lord, the Passion Week. Um, and let's go to Thursday. He's in the upper room. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And he's telling them about what servant leadership is all about and how you ought to serve one another, even as I have served you. And then he begins to teach them. And he tells them that I am going away. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And he kept telling them, I'm leaving you, I'm leaving you. And it's been three and a half years now. And they've heard him talking about the plans that the father had for him, but now they were coming to culmination. And the Bible says that sorrow filled their hearts because they had been walking with Jesus for three, three and a half years and 
loving him, getting to know him. And Jesus says, you guys are no longer servants. You're my friends. And, and now he's saying, I got to go. And where I'm going, you can't come with me right now. Sorrow, trouble, pain ripped their hearts. And I would imagine they had the same thought in mind that my children had in mind. And that is, okay, if you're leaving us, who are you going to leave here to be with us when you're gone? And that's when Jesus began to teach them about the Holy Spirit because he said, look, if I don't go away, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, cannot come. It's to your advantage. You may not feel it right now. You may not understand it, but it's to your advantage that I go away. Because right now, my deity, I, I purposely limited my deity to be in flesh, a human body, one place at one time. Yes, I'm still God, but I limited voluntarily my deity. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, there are no limitations with him in terms of being with you because he will not only be with you, he will be in you wherever you are globally as the church expands. So there's an advantage that the Holy Spirit comes. I've got to go away. And as they spent their final moments in the upper room, he spent a lot of time focusing on the ministry of the coming Holy Spirit. And I thought today and for the next several weeks, we would spend time speaking extensively about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because unfortunately, the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood member of the triune Godhead. And as I speak about the Holy Spirit, some of us have memories in our minds of what we think the Holy Spirit is, and quite frankly, that thought terrorizes some of us. And so I want to remind us that the Holy Spirit is not a force to be feared. He is a person to be known. I'm going to be saying that throughout this series. He is not an it. Let the force be with you, Star Wars. No, 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 no. He is not a force. Yes, he has force and power, but he is a person. And so in the midst of this series, which we're calling Getting to Know You, learning what it means to commune with the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn how to commune with him, which is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where it talks about having the communion of the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend time learning about the Holy Spirit and how to better commune with him. But to get things started, we got to start off with who he is. Now, one, no one sermon can completely explain who the Holy Spirit is, yet alone God or Jesus. But we're going to do our best, and I hope that I'll plant a seed of curiosity, especially for those who may be exposed to this kind of teaching for the first time, that you'll go home and you'll spend time with God on your own. Why? Because the best teaching happens when you are with God by yourself. Because the Bible says you have an anointing, if you're a believer, you have an anointing which speaks of the Holy Spirit from God who can teach you things that no man can teach you. We all need teachers. We all need pastors. But don't you bypass what the Spirit wants to teach you because you only open up your Bible on Sundays. But I hope something happens to you today that you want to go and read these passages 
So let's start today with the person, the person of the Holy Spirit. And from our passage in John 14, we'll see three things Jesus taught his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And it's my prayer. We'll see those three things as well. We're going to see the Holy Spirit is our helper. Then we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is the truth. And finally, we will see that the Holy Spirit is our adopter. So I'm using plural language here, that he is our helper, the truth, or our truth, and our adopter. Because in the West, so often, because we center ourselves so much in the West, that we tend to think that it's just me, myself, and I, in the words of De La Soul, that, that, that it's just all about me. But we got to remember that when Jesus gave forth this teaching, it was done in the context of community. So before we start trying to apply who the Holy Spirit is to me, we got to make sure we understand who the Holy Spirit is to us. And so let, let, let's understand that community, that, that, that we know God best, we learn of God best, and we live for him best in the midst of community before we just make it a personal thing between me and God. So number one, the Holy Spirit is our helper. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, I know he said it because in my Bible it's in the red letters. Uh, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. Once again, they are in the upper room. He is instructing them before he is arrested and tried and crucified. And he starts to talk to them here in this passage about keep my commandments. And so my first question is, Lord, which commandment are you speaking about? Which commandments are you talking about? Well, if we understand how Jesus taught, we know in Matthew chapter 22, when they came to him testing him, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Because they're thinking that if he picks commandment number 512, they're going to get him for not picking commandment number 333 because there were over 630 commandments in the Old Testament. So they, they were trying to trap him and trick him. But how can you trip the person who wrote the book? You, you can't do that. And so Jesus says, let me tell you what the greatest commandment is since you asked. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then there's the second commandment that can't be separated from the first commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And in Matthew 22, Jesus said, hang all of the commandments on love, loving God, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So what is the commandment? It is love. Because if I love God, I'm fulfilling the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments. If I'm loving my neighbor, I'm fulfilling the next six commandments in the Ten Commandments. My focus isn't trying to keep the law. My focus is on receiving his love and living in his love and watching the law be fulfilled in my life. And when I fall short, his perfect love is able to help an imperfect person every day of his or her life. So Jesus said, let, let, let me help y'all out a little bit. Because y'all want to focus on the minutia, and y'all are sitting around here swallowing camels and choking on gnats. Let's simplify this thing. Love! And just in case the disciples missed it, he hit them with it in chapter 13, verse 34. And he says, still in the upper room, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
By that, you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by how you vote. (laughs) Is that what the books say? They're going to know you're my disciples by what denomination you're a part of, by how much money you make. No, no. They're going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So the new commandment, which is really an old commandment, but he's just crystallizing it because he's the Christ and he's explaining it. Love. Well, pastor, what is love? Love simply, agape love, is a commitment of one's will. It's a commitment of the will to do the right thing towards the person being loved. So so if you're taking notes or you're going to watch it on the repeat, just recognize here that love is first a commitment of the will before it's a feeling. And a lot of people jump in and out of love because feelings, they are fleeting. But when you have real love, agape love, it's a commitment of the will, whether the feelings are there right now or not. And you're going to do. Love always acts. Love just doesn't talk. Love acts. You're going to do something. What are you going to do? The right thing. Love doesn't do the wrong thing. So when we start talking about doing the right thing, we're talking about justice. Which is why it has been said that justice is what love looks like when it has clothes on. That you're doing the right thing, righteousness towards people. But let's go a little bit deeper. Love is a commitment of one's will to do the right thing towards the person being loved, especially when they don't deserve it. (laughs) Especially when they don't deserve it. And especially when it requires a sacrifice on your part. That's what love is. So so, so this is why he's going to be talking about the Holy Ghost. That's old school for you King James Version folk, you Baptist folk out in the woods. Holy God! Getting scared the mess out of some of y'all. Holy God! Because in order to truly love, I need some help from God. Because if love was easy, there wouldn't be any broken relationships. But because love can be difficult sometimes, we need help from the Holy Spirit to love difficult people. And not only that, people need help from the Holy Spirit to love us when we get difficult. Relationships can be tough. Love your neighbor, even when your neighbor is difficult. Why? Because God says, I'm going to give you help to love your neighbor. So don't tell me you can't love your neighbor. Tell God you won't love your neighbor because you're not submitting your will to God to love. Why? Because Romans says that the Holy Spirit has shed love abroad in our hearts. Christians are supposed to be people of love. So when we don't love, and that doesn't mean you agree, you just love. But when we say, Lord, I just can't love my neighbor, I just can't love my enemy, it's because you're not letting the Holy Spirit help you. Who are you finding it difficult to love right now? Is it your neighbor? Is it your coworker? Is it your boss? Who is it? Is it your spouse, your children, your parents? We all have struggles and difficult relationships from time to time. But God says, I've given you help in order to keep this new commandment to love so that people can know that I'm real in your life. And so can the Holy Spirit help you? To love this person. 
So a prayer may be, Holy Spirit, please help me to love fill in the blank. Why? Because fill in the blank has hurt me. And I don't want to be around them, near them, next to them, or do kind things to them. And so God is saying, well, if you let me help you, I'll give you the ability to be able to love people who are difficult. Why? Because I love you and you're difficult. And the beginnings of that might be forgive the people who hurt you, whether or not they ask for forgiveness or not. See, this is the real Christianity stuff right here. Can you bless and not curse? Can you not return evil when folk give you evil? We need help from God. So Jesus says, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're just not talking about doctrine. I can sit here and give you doctrine, pneumatology, and try to impress you with how much I know. And we could talk about some orthodoxy surrounding the Holy Spirit, pneumatology. But Jesus didn't teach his guys like that. He said, let's keep it practical. Let's start off first. You got to love somebody. And the only way you're going to be able to love somebody is with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me go back to verse 15 and then go into 16. So you see the connections. If you love me, keep my commandments. Lord, it's difficult loving people. Well, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. God knows we need help. And God says, I'm going to give you help. Jesus says, I'm going to pray and ask the Father that he would give y'all, since I'm leaving, another helper. Well, since every word of God is inspired by him, every word has meaning. And this small word in the English, another, comes from a Greek word which is called alos, which means another of the same kind. Now, when Matthew's writing, he didn't use the Greek word heteros, another of a different kind. No, he used alos, another of the same kind. So Jesus is saying, the one who's coming to be with you is just like me. He's just like me. He's different from me, but he is just like me. And so that's important for us to realize. So this helper, because they've been used to being with Jesus. So he's saying the one who's coming with you is just like me, even though he's distinct from me. But since he's like Jesus, this means this helper is a person. He is a person, not a thing or an it. The Holy Spirit, the helper is a person, meaning that the Holy Spirit possesses all of the qualities and attributes of personhood. The Holy Spirit possesses personhood. What is personhood? We're talking about just starting off having emotion, intellect, and will. A force or a thing or an it doesn't have emotion, intellect, or will. So when we talk about emotion, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. When we talk about intellect, the Bible talks about the mind of the Holy Spirit to the point where, where who can teach the Holy Spirit? And then when we talk about will, the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit said to the church at Antioch, separate for me Paul and Barnabas for the work in which I have for them. So, so he makes a choice because he has a will. So this person who is like Jesus, 
the helper is a person. Another thing, the helper is God, if this helper is like Jesus, meaning that this helper is omnipresent. God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time at the same time. So the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Uh, the psalmist says, if I make my bed in hell, uh, the Spirit is there. If I go up and take the wings of the morning and fly to the highest heavens, you are there. So the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Not only that, like Jesus and God the Father, he is omnipotent. That means he has all power. Well, the question is, who raised Jesus from the dead? The Bible says the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. That takes omnipotence to raise the Son of God from the dead. And when you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1, he's right there in the beginning at creation, hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God is there as God created. So he has omnipotence. And not only that, he has omniscience, meaning that he knows everything. So Jesus is saying that this helper I'm sending to you, he's just like me. He's God. Now, when God comes into your life through the person of the Holy Spirit, does that make you a God? No, it doesn't. It only gives you the capacity to be godly. Doesn't make you a god. So another day we'll talk about these people who walk around thinking that they're God, but got to lay down and go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning and get some coffee. We, we, we ain't got time to even spend no time on nutcases like that. But I like how Mary Mary says it. It's the God in me. Yeah, yeah, he lives in me. And when you know God lives in you, it ought to change your perspective. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power. And of what? Love. And of what? A sound mind. So a lot of times we just don't know who we are or what we have. But that's why we have to be taught the word of God. And so this helper is a person. This helper, like Christ, is God. This helper is also masculine. He's masculine. Uh, uh, look at chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. They're still in the upper room. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare to you all things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Ten times in just a few verses, and there are so many other verses where the Holy Spirit is referred to in the masculine pronoun. I love the New King James Version because not only does it say he and him, but it's capitalized to let you know that, again, he is deity, he is God. So that helps a whole lot. And so when people, as we're going to find out in a minute when he talks about the world, is full of lies. When people want to come and try to say that, yeah, I know y'all pray to Father God, but what about Mother God? Well, again, the Holy Spirit is an it, or the Holy Spirit can be a she. Well, the Holy Spirit is not a man like men and women. But when God reveals himself to men and women who are created, God reveals himself in the masculine form. So, 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 so let's use the terms God uses as opposed to making up stuff that sound good but ain't right. And I know it ain't popular, but God hadn't called Christians to be popular. He called us to be obedient and effective witnesses for him. 
And we can't be effective if we let unbelievers try to teach us theology. No, we teach the church theology, and if the world picks it up, so be it. My God. John 14, 16, Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper. He's like me. But dig this now. We, we got to talk about that word helper, helper, which is also capitalized in the New King James Version. It comes from a Greek word, parakletos, parakletos, or simplified, paraclete. And it simply means someone who comes alongside to help. So Jesus says, I'm going to send someone to help you. He's going to be with you. He's going to be in you because I know you need help to live for me. I know you need help to preach for me. I know you need help to worship me, to love me, to love your enemies, to love your... I know you need help to understand my word. I'm going to send you help. A parakletos, the paraclete. And this word is interesting because this word can also be translated in our English Bibles as advocate. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus is described as our advocate, parakletos, my God. This word is also translated in our Bibles as one who is a comforter, parakletos, paraklete. It's also translated as one who gives counsel, the one who consoles. It is a pregnant term, and it means one who helps paraclete. Now, you may not know what, what, what a paraclete is. You may say, Pastor, I don't know all this Greek you're talking about. But I hope you know what a parachute is. <laughs> parachute is something that will help you when you're falling. And, and it will keep you from dashing your feet against the, the Holy Spirit will keep us from falling. Okay, Pastor, I may not know what a paraclete is, but do you know what a parasol is? A parasol is a fancy term for umbrella. It's something you put over your head to shield you from the rain or from the sun. The Holy Spirit is a shield in your life who will protect you and keep you and watch over you. You may say, okay, Pastor, I don't know what a paraclete is, but do you know what a paralegal is? A paralegal is somebody who comes along your side to help you when you're in trouble, especially with the law. Oh, the Holy Spirit is our paralegal who comes alongside with Jesus as our defense lawyer who help us when we're in some tough spots. You may not know what a paraclete is, but do you know what a paramedic is? A paramedic is someone who comes along and helps folks who are hurting, busted, and disgusted. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit helps us when we're hurting. You may not know what a paraclete is, but do you know what a parakeet is? A parakeet is a bird that'll talk to you. Oh, I'm here to let you know the Holy Ghost will talk to you. He'll walk with you and remind you that you belong to God. Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper who's going to be with you. And since the Holy Spirit is our helper, will we let him help us? Or are we going to be foolish and try to live on our own and get in trouble and then ask God to deliver and rescue again? Yeah, he's there. He's faithful. But we need to be people who rely on the help we have. Let's move to number two. The Holy Spirit is the truth. Verse 17, Jesus says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
So upper room teaching, upper room teaching. He says the spirit, this helper, is also known as the spirit of truth. And notice the correlation. The spirit of truth is mentioned in the context of the world. What's being implied here? The world, which is really a place that leaves God out, that doesn't honor God, that doesn't obey God. The world is a place that is built on lies. The world is a place that promotes lies. The world is a place that proclaims lies and perpetuate lies. So the church ought to be different from the world because the church is built on truth as opposed to being built on lies. So the world, the world can't receive the spirit of truth because ultimately it rejects Jesus who is the truth. Jesus said in chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The world doesn't want the truth. Pilate looked at Jesus and asked him, what is truth? And he didn't even know he was looking at the embodiment of truth. And he had the nerve with his philosophical Greek thinking to say, what is truth? Because anything can be truth in the world. It's called relative truth. What's true today may not be true tomorrow. So if I want to change the history of African-American people in this country because I don't like the truth of history, then I'm going to promote lies. And I'm going to say that slavery benefited black folk when they came here like they got on a cruise ship and rolled over here. It's a lie. Because all truth is God's truth. Two plus two equals four. That's true. That's God's truth. But when you say two plus four equals seven, that's a lie. That's not truth. Scientific truth is God's truth. Not just biblical and spiritual truth. So the world is full of lies, but he's like the Holy Spirit. This help I'm sending you, he's the spirit of truth. And the world doesn't see the spirit of truth. And the world, Jesus said, they don't even know him. But then he says, but you know him. He's speaking to the group. You all, southern dialect from Jesus, you all know the truth. You know him. And so when I look at that, I'm like, Lord, how how do they really know him? And and again, digging into the Greek language, there's so many words for knowledge or knowing in the Greek language. But this particular word, ginosko, means to know experientially. To know personally, to have first-hand experience. This is not oida, which is head knowledge. And a lot of people got head knowledge. But he said, no, this is a knowledge of experience. You know him. Well, Lord, how do we know him? Well, you know him because he's dwelling with you, is what Jesus said. You, 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 the world don't know him like y'all know him now. now they, they don't know him. Why? He's dwelling with you. That means he's with you in the present. Why? Because he's omnipresent. He's with you. And not only that, Jesus got anointed with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized, fulfilling the fact that he was and is the anointed one, the one covered with the Holy Spirit, the one endowed, dipped in, drenched in the Holy Spirit. And he could cast out devils by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus was walking with them for three and a half years, the Holy Spirit was dwelling with them through Jesus. So Jesus says he's dwelling with you in the present and then he will be with you or be in you rather in the future. So he's not only around you. There's coming a time when he's going to be in you. 
They're sitting there saying, wait a minute, now this is new revelation to us. Because back in the Old Testament, the Holy Ghost didn't rest on everybody. The Holy Spirit only rested on prophets, priests, and kings, and judges. And, uh, but, but you're saying he's going to rest on us yet? Yeah, because next week we're going to talk about this prophecy of Joel, where God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, not just some flesh. And your men and your women will dream and prophesy. Your, your servants will also receive the Holy Spirit, creating common unity in the body of Christ. So he's coming. He's going to be in you. Oh, he's teaching these brothers about the spirit. And when the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth is in you, it should be hard to tell a lie. I know y'all looking at your watch and saying, Pastor, I know you ain't preached in eight weeks. You ain't got to try to get it all out on your first Sunday back. But I'm going to finish this here. It should be hard to tell a lie if you're a Christian. It should be hard to live a lie if you're a Christian. And it should be hard to accept a lie if you're a Christian. But we got a lot of oxymoron Christians around here. An oxymoron is when you combine two terms that don't go together that are really opposite. And when you combine lying Christian, that's a problem. I sit down with people who start off just lying, telling me stuff. And I, I know they lie. Because when you tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. But when you lie, you get caught in the lie. I, I just be waiting like I'm an inspector, like I'm a detective. I, I just be waiting. That lie going to find them. It's going to find them. Wait a minute. I thought you said earlier, but now you're saying, oh, well, well, well Pastor, the, the, you lying. You know you lie a lot if the lies you tell, you start to believe. You not only deceived, you've deceived yourself. But I'm asking that God will do a work in the lives of believers who are given to lying because you have some self-esteem problems. Uh, something happened to you in your upbringing which caused you to start lying to try to promote yourself with this kind of image that isn't really real. And you got saved and you kept on lying about how much money you make. You kept lying about the degrees you have. You kept lying about stuff. But man, when God sets you free, you can say like Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am who I am. All the scratches, blemishes, marks. He loves me. And if you don't love me, that's your problem. You don't have to lie to folk. Finally, the Holy Spirit. Oh, I, I wish I could stop here, but Ananias and Sapphira, they, they were some lying Christians. Acts chapter 5. Bible says they lied about the offering. And uh, Peter said to them, why has Satan filled your heart where you would lie to God? So again, lies is of the world. Lies come from the father of lies. So when you're lying as a Christian, you're allowing Satan to fill you in a way that the Holy Ghost should fill you. And then you start to question, were Ananias and Sapphira really Christians? Because can the spirit of Satan fill a Christian? I don't think so. Man, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens when we get to heaven, who there, who ain't there. But anyway, Peter went on and said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. 
Christians lying. Finally, the Holy Spirit is our adapter. adopter. Look at verse 18, and I'll take my seat as the old preacher would say. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. So again, they're like, okay, you're leaving. What's up? I'm going to send help to you. Spirit of truth to you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you in the presence and in the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, with the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, God would officially become the disciples' spiritual father. Before, he was their father by way of creation. But now he's going to become their spiritual father by way of salvation. And the proof of that adoption is in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So God, Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. Y'all are spiritual orphans. No, I'm going to come to you. Yeah. Romans 8, 15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You see, orphans are afraid. As children are going through the uh, process with our states where they're aging out of custody with the state. Anxiety builds because they don't have parents. So these foster children, they're aging out. They don't have parents. They are orphans. So orphan, being an orphan can bring fear, and fear brings bondage. But Paul says, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage. Again to fear, because I know you were afraid at one time. Well, what have we received? You've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Something happened in your soul and in the spirit realm where you were transferred from one parent to another from the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light. You've been adopted by God now. And God's spirit comes into your life dwells inside of you and tells you and reminds you that you are a child of God. For his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, meaning that we can approach God intimately, calling him Abba or Papa. We don't have to speak of him religiously. We don't have to let somebody else talk to God on our behalf. No, we know him for ourselves. And we can talk to him outside of church. We could talk to him wherever we are. Daddy, I need you. I'm down here struggling right now. Yes. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. You see, by law, an adoptive parent cannot disown an adopted child. Once you adopt a child, you cannot disown or disinherit an adopted child. Now, when a birth mother or biological father gives their child up for adoption, they cannot get that child back once the adoption has been legally finalized. This is because their parental rights become completely terminated and those rights are now legally transferred to the adoptive parents. So legally, these adoptive parents are now the parents even though they're not the biological parents. Adoption. I first learned about adoption watching Good Times. When Penny, Johnny Jackson, got adopted by Walona Woods. And Penny's biological mother kept trying to come back to get Penny because she had abused Penny, burned her with an iron, beat her up, all that stuff. And so, so Walona legally goes through the process to adopt Penny. 
And once that adoption goes through legally, Penny's birth mother has no more legal authority over her. And so there's this scene in one of the episodes when both of the mothers were calling Penny. And Penny was confused because that's her birth mother and that's her new adopted mother. But I'm so glad that the new adoptive mother's voice was louder and stronger and more loving than the voice of her biological mother. And she went to Alona. We all cried while we watched the good times. Hardly ever a good time on good times. But this past week, Strong Tower, this past week, it was publicized that former NFL player Michael Orr, who starred in The Blind Side, was never adopted by the Tui family, which the movie was built on, that they saw this poor, uneducated, big buffoon of a black man, white saviorism, and they're going to take him in and save his life. Blindside, Academy Awards, all that stuff. But Michael Orr never liked the movie because it didn't portray him properly. Michael Orr is a smart brother, intellectual brother. And they fabricated the world, told lies to sell a movie. When just let the truth speak. But in the midst of this, Michael Orr just realized that they never officially adopted him. The papers he signed, according to Michael Orr, were papers of conservatorship, which gave the Tuies, mom and dad, legal authority over him in terms of making decisions for him, especially when it would come to his money. So they said they signed the document to get him into Ole Miss. No, no, no. His talent and education got him into Ole Miss. Y'all had him sign that document because you knew that boy was NFL bound. And you're trying to get a hold of his money, and you're saying that he's not capable enough to make decisions on his own. He thinks he's signing adoption papers, but he's signing conservatorship papers. That brother just got married to a black woman. That black woman probably started looking at the records like, hey, wait a minute, hold on. Wait, 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 what's this right here? What, what, what? So now he's got to deal with the emotional distress. I thought they adopted me because they wanted me. I come to find out that they didn't even adopt me, and it seems like they really want my money. Because had they made him, like, like adopted him, he would have become an heir to the Tui estate. Tui's didn't need no money. They already had $220 million in their estate. But I think they didn't adopt him because they didn't love him enough to let him share the estate with their other two children. But they could use him to make themselves seem like saviors and feel good. I know you don't like it, but it's right. I'm telling the truth. That's why I hope you come to church. But I said all that to say this. And Michael Orr's barber is a member of our church, Tony Steele. So, so we're praying for you, Mike, that justice, justice, justice would be done. And if you're lying, which I don't believe you are, that justice will be done and expose you. But I don't see why the brother would have a reason to do what he's doing now. But I said all of that to say that when God adopts you, you're not signing a conservatorship. I wish somebody would help me real quick. That when God adopts you, he not only brings you into his family, gives you his spirit, sealing you to the day of redemption, but he has the nerve to make us co-heirs with Jesus Christ. 
You and I can't really even enter into all that. Whatever Jesus gets, we get. That's why the gospel is good news to the poor, to the broken heart. Well, 2,000 years ago, he, Jesus met him in the upper room and said, I'm leaving, and, but I ain't going to leave you without help. The Holy Spirit, he's not only going to be with you, he's going to be in you. He is the spirit of truth. And what they needed to hear then, we need to hear now. And that is, let the helper help us as a church. Let the helper help us as individuals. When you go home tonight, just don't go on automatic pilot. Holy Spirit, help me. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Lord, I need you in the simplest of things. I'm, I'm more aware. Don't we sing it? Make us aware more of your presence. Holy Spirit, help me with telling the truth because you're the spirit of truth. Lord, I've been lying because I've been afraid. I've been acting like an orphan when I'm really a child, a son, a daughter of you. And I don't need to lie to nobody. If you accept me, Lord, I accept myself. And whether or not they accept, I'm going to tell the truth, Jesus. So help me, Lord, with that. And also, Holy Spirit, help me to understand my adoption. Oh, God, I belong to you. You belong to me. Jesus said he's going to be with you forever. I don't have to live to the point where if I don't live right, I'm going to lose my adoption. Ain't no such thing as not living right, losing your adoption. But if you stay with me for a few weeks, we'll keep talking about this. Man, let's get to know him. This past winter, I learned something about my car. I learned something about my car. I've had my car for about six years. But I learned something about it last winter that I didn't know. I learned that my car has a heated steering wheel. I didn't know. But one day, it was cold. And I was waiting for it to warm up. And I'm in there waiting for it to warm up, and I look down, and I see this emblem, this symbol, with a ring and some, look like some smoke coming from a fire. And I pressed it. And then, boom, my steering wheel started to heat up. And I said, look, I didn't know my car could do that. Oh, boy, this is great. Then I started wondering. What else can my car do that I don't know? (laughs) And it was as if the Holy Spirit said, there's a lot more that I can do that you don't know. (laughs) But just like the car has a manual, I've left you a manual that if you only read it, you'll be able to understand the depth of the riches that I have in store for you. That, that man, you think a steering wheel heating up is something? Holy Spirit says, I'll heat your life up. <laughs> I'll change you, man, from the inside out if you let me. So, Strong Tower, we're going to be in the manual for a while. Stand with me and let's pray. Amen. You can give God some praise. Thank God for the helper, the Holy Spirit. As was mentioned, Wednesday night Bible study, come on out. Fellowship with some folk, get to know some folk. There's a meal at 6, register 4, by uh, one of these nights by midnight. It's all on the app and on the website. Come on out. And then there's this uh, time we're going to have on September 3rd for new and prospective members. 
So if you don't have a church home and you may say, man, let me check this place out. Coming to that meeting doesn't obligate you. We're not here selling timeshares. Uh, just come. Just come. And let the Spirit lead you. And he'll show you if this is the place or not. But you need to be somewhere, if not here. And if there's anyone here, you don't know the Lord Jesus. Open up your heart and say, Jesus, I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to be forgiven. I believe you love me. And you proved your love. You just didn't talk it. But you walked the Via Dolorosa, which is the path to the cross. And he died on that cross for your sin and mine. We, we are all guilty. But God says, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to take your guilt. And after he died, he rose from the grave. And if you put your trust in the living Christ, he'll come into your life and change you. Oh, my God. If you've never asked Jesus, ask him to save you. And if you do, just come up and shake my hand and say, Pastor, today was the day of salvation for me. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, God, that we got to gather today in your house. Thank you, Lord God, that we have freedoms in this country where we can assemble pretty much without any kind of persecution. But, Lord, the real battle begins when we leave this building and we go out and we're called to love difficult people. We're called to love the poor, love the last, love the lost, love the least. And in and of ourselves, we cannot do that. But when you baptized the church with the Spirit, you gave us the capacity to love. And love looks differently for each one of us as we're loving people. But Lord, I pray that people will know that we're your disciples by the love that we share. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us the ability to love. We yield, we submit to you. Have your way. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that's working within the church. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And blessed people of the Lord said... Amen. And bless people of the Lord said, hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus one more hand praise. Amen. Have a blessed day. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you, Lord willing, on Wednesday.